0: You're listening to Love is Dead, Historical Heartbreaks and Hot Takes. I'm Rachel Dyer. And I'm Hazel Atkinson. And this is the podcast where history answers your modern dating queries.
1: Hello, good evening. Hey,
0: Rachel. Hey there, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm doing wonderfully. Just happy to be here in the, the Piersfield studio having a glass of wine with you. On this splendid Saturday evening. Indeed. Indeed. So, Rachel, have you checked your phone recently? I mean, I did just feel it vibrate. I guess I should oh. check that out. Uh, you know, the vibrations. Let me know. Oh, my goodness. Who could the message be from? Hazel, did you just sex me? <gasps> oh did my, I? Oh, my goodness. What am I wearing? Well, I happen to be wearing a very slinky little yellow dress. It's absolutely lovely. Well, thank you. And I, and I do know what you mean. Um, little wink wink. In there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel very... Um, Very sexy. I don't know about you. I'm glad that I was able to do that for you. You definitely did. Is is that what we're talking about today?
1: Yeah. So that not at all awkward segue (laughs) into this week's podcast. We're gonna be talking to you today about how to write a sexy text
0: or a sext, Sext. if you will. (laughs) I feel like sexting these days. Is probably skyrocketing pandemic wise. Um, a lot of us can't be with our partners day to day. So, you know, fill in our needs digitally.
1: That's true. I mean, you're in a long distance relationship mm-hmm. at the moment. So, yep. is that something that
0: you've had to like discover or? Um, I mean, and I say this knowing that my parents are going to listen to this. So, I want to preface this by saying I'm very sorry for what you're about to learn about your daughter. But <laughs> um, I think, and this is going to sound like a weird start off, but I, I'm the youngest of five kids so I was always hanging out with older people so I think I got introduced to like sexting probably earlier uh, just because I was dating older people but um, so I'm not like rediscovering it I am I guess rediscovering the joy of it that it can be really fun and playful and that it's not like it doesn't necessarily mean dark and seedy and like gross I guess that it can be very playful and loving too
1: yeah exactly so before we started recording you were telling me that we tried to look up some stats yeah uh, Like we did for our last episode, um, but they were all a bit preachy, and this is what teenagers are doing and stuff. And we do want to be very much a sex-positive podcast. Yeah, it
0: just it got a little dark when you looked at the statistics, and I think you know we're trying to always put out the message that you know safe, consensual sex can be very, very fun, and we're never trying to ick anyone's yum. So (laughs) (laughs) So if sexting is your yum. No one here is going to ick it. That took me a good few seconds to realize what the fuck
1: you <laughs> what were talking
0: about. Saying. It's one of my favorite. How long did you practice that? I didn't practice it at all. It's just one of my favorite sayings. Okay. Well. I just love it. I love it. Because I think, I mean, not that sexting is like a kink or anything, but I think everyone has kinks and we should always, unless they're like harmful, you should always accept people's kinks and never yuck anyone's yum. I agree. <laughs> but... <laughs> Maybe it's just I'm a gonna very need American. A, I'm going to need a moment now. That's <laughs> just a very American saying, maybe? I don't know. We are weirdly sexually repl- repressed. It makes us say weird things sometimes. So something I wanted
1: to ask your opinion on. Okay. Um, do you think that with the development of, like, photo technology, obviously mm. we can send each other photos and videos now, mm. do you think that the sext, as in, like, the descriptive text Mm -hmm. has been replaced somewhat by the art of the
0: nude (laughs) (laughs) um I mean I think in some cases definitely well just because I mean in some cases they're easier where it's like just here's what this is here but I think the descriptive sext is almost like it it's an art form I think these days that if you can describe something not just in a vulgar way but in a you know romantic and descriptive way that's kind of cool
1: Yeah, I agree. This is completely speaking as someone, nobody sends me nudes. (laughs) Uh, No one sends me sex either. Uh, That is not an invitation for anybody (laughs) listening. It's cool. Uh, But yeah, so that's interesting that um, despite the fact that we've got I don't know why I keep calling it picture technology. Like I'm a (laughs) hundred. This is why no one sends me nudes. Uh, The talkies that that we have. Even though that we have that now, obviously, yeah, the sext is still alive and well. So, after that lovely introduction, (laughs) um, I think we should move along to the history um, and the history of sexting. Yeah. Obviously, this is the history more of sex communication uh, rather than texting which other would be limited to the 90s onwards I think
0: we really would and I you know what I'm not super interested in that time period so
1: <laughs> well I mean it's when I was born well, I besides that I wasn't doing I was any very sexting interested then. in
0: your in your I guess entering the world <laughs> so I am very interested because um you told me what time period you're doing but not who you're talking about, so I'm really, I'm, I'm stoked. So I feel like it's
1: become a bit of a routine, even though we're only on episode three, that We are an ancient history and history duo at this point, um, which I'm quite happy to sit in the character of. So I have once again turned to the ancients for some sexting inspiration. Okay. Um, And I'm also really conscious that the people we've talked about so far have been heterosexual Mm -hmm. relationships, um, so male, female. That is not what the history of sex is, nope. I think we all know that. Um, so today I've made a, um, an effort, not that you have to search that far, but to get some queer representation in. Not wanting to start, you know <laughs> humbly, I might have gone with the, the biggest queer icon <laughs> of the ancient world. I don't know why I do this to myself. It's <laughs> so Cleopatra go big as well. Or go home, mm-hmm. you know? uh, so today I want to talk to you about Sappho.:
0: Oh, okay, that's really exciting.:
1: Yeah. So what do you know about Sappho?
0: Um, to be honest, not a ton, but it is one of those names that just being in the world of history, you hear quite often. So I'm, I'm about to learn.
1: You are about to learn about Sappho. Um, so Sappho, who was she? Sappho was a lyric poetess, um, and that means that her poetry was made to be sung with a lyre. Oh. So when we read her poetry... They're lyrics, okay. really. They would have been um, sung. They would have had a Greek instrument accompanying them rather than like a spoken word poetry reading.
0: Well, man, if you really wanted to spice up your sexting life, I think just voice noting, singing it would be really something.
1: This should be the next thing. Yeah. Forget <laughs> sexting. Forget nudes. Record yourself playing the lyre and yeah. singing some ancient Greek lyrics. Some sex singing. And, yeah. yeah. Hot. All
0: right. Hot, 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 hot.
1: So Sappho was living on the Greek island of Lesbos. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born in around 630 BCE. Okay. So this is ancient, ancient. Ancient, ancient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she was described by Plato as the 10th muse. Oh. Yeah. Big deal. Drabo said no other woman came close to rivaling her as a poet. Whoa. Obviously, you know, no other woman came close. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. I think we should translate that as no one else came, no one close, else came close to her. For sure, mm-hmm. yeah. She was honored with portraits on coins from Mytilene and Aresis on Lesbos, and she can even be found depicted on an Athenian vase from 510 to 500 BCE, uh, playing her lyre. So she's being depicted, you know, 100 years on from her death in Greek art.
0: That's really cool.
1: Now, what's most exciting about Sappho for me, she is a modern queer icon. Love it. Due to the love um, poetry and erotic poetry that she wrote about women. Love it. So obviously her name and where she lived, Lesbos, this is where the terms lesbian mm-hmm. and sapphic come from. Oh, well, So there they're you go. all from Sappho. She is the, uh, well, she's not the original lesbian, but <laughs> they presumably were people before her. But the first lesbian celebrity. Did, just didn't exist before Sappho, you know? <laughs> um, so did you know, this is quite interesting. In uh, ancient times, lesbian meant being good at fellatio? Huh, which wow. is literally the opposite literally of, the opposite. yeah. Literally so that was um, how the word was used in the ancient world they because just couldn't
0: figure out they're like that she's really good with her mouth. So I guess we'll just translate that. Well, it like,
1: wasn't about Sappho. It was about people who lived well, on the island. Right, right. So it was to do with the islanders of Lesbos oh, rather than Sappho. Okay. Whereas obviously Sappho herself is this where the modern term of lesbian right. and Sapphic right. comes from. Okay. But yeah, just a little fact for you there.
0: Well, okay, that'll be fun at parties. So
1: so what we know about Sappho is cobbled together mostly from her poems Mm -hmm. and references to her from other authors. It is quite vague, though. So many of her poems are lost. Um, Obviously, naturally, poems are lost in the depths of time. But also, I do think that we have this with a lot of female authors. Some of them are... Lost, Lost, inverted commas, within the monasteries or where mm-hmm. whoever is, like, copying them. Right. We know her brother, um, Caraxus was off philandering um, out and about. Oh. So she scolds him in one of the poems <laughs> for wasting money on a sex worker. Oh. We also know she had a daughter um, whom she loved and probably a husband as well, which can sometimes, like, m- muddy this picture of right. her and her sexuality, um, although that's obviously... A modern term um, and sure. not how the ancient greeks would have perceived things she seems
0: well-rounded mm-hmm.
1: but i think she obviously should still be this icon for like women loving women relationships right sure yeah we also know she was exiled to sicily during her lifetime as well
0: there's a lot of exiling happening in the ancient world
1: we just love to exile
0: <laughs> especially women
1: sicily's cause... okay though i think it's oh, quite pretty there totally, you know
0: yeah i'd be fine with it if anyone wants to exile me right now to Sicily I would be okay with (laughs) that that. Mm yep I'm sure I've done something exile worthy lately me
1: too (laughs) um so yeah Sappho is obviously just one of the best poets um her legacy goes down through the centuries after her death a gentleman called Solon of Athens heard his nephews singing one of her songs um and he asked the boy to teach it to him when asked why why he wanted to he said so I may learn it then die wow I think in a learn it and die happy not right no 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 learn it and then I'm (laughs) off I'm so bad I'm gonna die kind of way that's
0: amazing I mean I have written poetry since I was a kid I have a little poetry blog online but I don't think anyone's read my poems and then been like I can die happy (laughs) now
1: yeah I'm more of a fiction writer I have done some poetry as well but again no one's been like
0: oh my god
1: I'm going to die now I've read that short story. <laughs> Nothing in this world will ever compare to what I just read. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd... I mean, I don't know if I necessarily want
0: someone to kill themselves over my work, but. Well, no, but imagine the, just the rush, man. Like, that is some power right there. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: not all of the information we have about her from the ancients is complimentary. Okay. Uh, the picture is further muddied by several comedies, um, which include a uh, Sappho. Including ones in which she's portrayed as a sex worker, um, or she's like sex and man crazy, which isn't really kind of the vibe. Oh no! Um, By the time you get to the Roman poet Ovid, Mm. he includes her in his heroides, which is quite interesting because all of the other female writers in that are fictional. They're mythic. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. But he also has her in love with and wanting to die because of a man called Phaeon. So again, he's really gone with this kind of heteronormative trope. Right. He does give us some biographical details. Okay. So that her father died when she was six. Okay. Presumably, he took this from a poem that is now lost to us. Sure.
0: That's very specific.
1: So this Sappho that people come up with, um, with these comedies and the Roman Ovid, I do think we should take her as a work of fiction. Um, And I don't think that we're able to get very close to the real Sappho at all but I think that's moving in the wrong direction yeah, personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But she is obviously still being talked about, she's still referenced even when we get to these kind of like first centuries AD. Wow. Catullus, the erotic Roman poet, his poem 51 is a reworking of her poem 8. Oh interesting. And we do still have new Sappho fragments getting found. Um, so hopefully we'll just keep adding to her collection That's as cool. time goes on. They're still on. finding
0: them. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, bits of papyrus that might be found in like rubbish tips or whatever, um, in Egypt, and anywhere. It's, it's heartbreaking, really, when you well, think of yeah. like, you know, you've got this poetry on one side and someone's shopping list on
0: the other. I mean, true, but I think it's so interesting when they find these things from the past that like we know exist we just don't know where they are I mean I just read that article they found the diadem from Henry VIII's crown just out in a field somewhere oh yeah yeah you know that's kind of stuff fascinates me I have fantasies about just finding something like that like really cool do you know what what you think about at night is your business Rachel (laughs) (laughs) that's how I'm starting my sex messages I'm in a field anyways I found this artifact (laughs) and then there was a diadem (laughs) Anyways, I'm rich now, and that's how I want this to go. And there was no sex? There was no sex. Just Um, archaeology? Just archaeology, history, and loads of money. (laughs) To be fair. I mean, borderline sexual, just
1: the thought of it. (laughs) So what did Sappho write? Um, so Sapphire, as we said, she wrote lyric poetry um, that should be written to go along with Lyre, some of which is pretty steamy. Ooh. So a lot of it is to do with love. Um, she calls on Aphrodite a lot, the oh. Greek goddess of love. Sure. Um, and basically, most of them are to do with her falling in love with other women.
0: Love it. Mm-hmm.
1: Love it. It's really touching, quite a lot of it. Very erotic. Um, and I think it's one of those real hand reaching out across the... The millennia right, moments right. when you read her poetry it just feels so familiar mm-hmm. Um, the way she describes love the way she describes how she feels about these women
0: oh cool mm-hmm.
1: so there's a translator uh, the classicist anne carson okay. who i love she has a translation of sappho's poems called if not winter um and it just does this so beautifully so when she translates the poems Lots of them are very fragmentary. Sure. And she doesn't shy away from that. Great. So she puts in all of the lacunas. Okay. Really struggle with that word. (laughs) Um, Including poems where we literally have one or two words, which kind of makes them look like these very arty poems you get today, where it's like space, space. And then I, space, space, space space. thought. Mm. But it. It works. It It really works the way she does that. So it really is translating
0: Mm -hmm. across millennia.
1: That's cool. It makes them really affecting. You get that kind of shivery feeling even just reading the couple of words. Love it. In her introduction to this translation, Anne Carson cites W. Benjamin um, in their analysis of translation as a process. And Benjamin says that the task of the translator consists in finding that intended effect upon the language into which he is translating, which produces it in the echo of the original. Oh, cool. Yeah, so basically what that means is when Anne Carson translates it, she really tries to convey the original meaning. And so sometimes she'll mess around with like what lines she puts like underneath one another rather than straight across to try and really get that haunting original meaning. And I think she's really good at doing that. That's
0: so artistic. That's really cool. There really is an art to this translation
1: then so something i wanted to mention before we look at some examples of her sexy poetry Mm -hmm. is sappho talks about love being bittersweet okay but the greek word for that is actually if you translate it literally it's the other way around so it's sweet bitter okay Um, And Anne Carson talks about the chronology of this word. So it's kind of experiential when you read it like that rather than what we would say bittersweet. You know, that's a phrase today. Right. But if you read it chronologically sweet, bitter, it's kind of what love and then love gone wrong is actually like because you get the sweetness, the honey first and then the bitterness.
0: Right. Yeah. You're really going through the process.
1: So that's just a really nice way. I love that. To look at it. I think
0: that's really cool. I'm going to start saying that
1: now. So I think there is a podcast called Sweet Bitter, um, which is about Sappho. It's on my to be listened to list, which is quite big. So I haven't heard it, but that would probably be a good thing to go listen to if you are interested in Sappho. Um, And also, yeah, Anne Carson's translation, um, and I think she has a book called Eros: The Bittersweet, which is a really amazing for a look at desire in the ancient world. Great, that's what I would recommend. Um, So yeah, I think we should. Have a little look at what Sappho was actually saying to these ladies. Let's do it. Let's get
0: some sexting inspiration. I'm I'm ready for it. I feel like, you know, my boyfriend will really love me coming away from this podcast, learning some things today.
1: Okay. So what was Sappho actually saying about love and more importantly to her ladies?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, this is Sappho on the topic of love. Okay. So she says, some say the most beautiful thing upon black earth is an army of horsemen others' infantry, and others' ships. But I say, it is whatever someone loves.
0: Oh my god. Mm. I love that.
1: I love that too. And again, it's one of those kind of reaching out across the years. Yeah. Very relatable. And it's also such a female voice. It is. Because I feel like when she's saying, the most beautiful thing is an army of horsemen, infantry, ships, who's saying that? Right. Is it girls? Probably not. No. <laughs> I think it's boys and their sword toys. Yeah, yeah. They like their their toys, their big toys. One hundred percent. So that's her on Love. Love it. When I was talking about the kind of the lacunas, those like breaks, the yes. fragmentary stuff. We have this fragment from um, poem seven. Okay. And it's gonna sound very fragmentary when I read it to you, but I still think it just really sums up this imagery that she's talking sure, about. Sure. So she says, The night and girls celebrates all night long singing of your loveliest songs for the violet-bosomed bride Ooh,
0: i already just like the night and girls like, yeah <laughs> already girls yeah already i really mean, love same. it <laughs> only
1: good things only good things um yeah so i do think that like even with those like breaks so we've got a couple of like fragments there really just sums up this beautiful imagery that she's talking about and i can imagine her on her gorgeous greek island with her girls yeah Absolutely. Love it. Um in terms of like what you might want to send to somebody. Right. She's got a couple of little tips. Perfect. So I like this one, she says. Let us see as much sleep as the clear-voiced nightingale. Ooh. Which is a fancy poetic way of saying let's stay up all yeah, night. Yeah, let's not sleep. Yeah. So what? I think that's quite sexy. That is sexy. Mm-hmm. I like that. Now, this might be one of the most famous Sappho extracts that we've got here. And this is her describing the feeling of being in love. And I just think that this is, it's so relevant. And I feel like when I read this out to you, you're going to relate very strongly. And it's also, again, it's that sweet, bitter thing. Because Mm -hmm. she's talking about being in love with a woman who's sitting with somebody else. Oh, okay. So she says, he seems to me to be equal to the gods Whoever sits opposite you And listens to you Talking sweetly And laughing desirably Which makes the heart in my breast fly For whenever I look upon you For an instant I can no longer find a single word But my tongue is broken And instantly Delicate fire runs beneath my skin And I see nothing With my eyes My hearing pounds A cold sweat covers me Trembling Grabs my all I am paler than grass And I think I am little short of dying. Oh, my God.
0: So, I mean, if you want to send that to somebody. Right. I mean, I think go hard or go home. Go over well, I feel like. I mean, who doesn't want to be told all those beautiful things? That's I mean, okay, so I, I guess I have a bone to pick with men across history, but we would know so much more about the emotional state of people throughout history if we would just have preserved Women's interpretation of events and feelings and emotional history I feel like would be so much bigger. It wouldn't all just be war and politics and paperwork. It would be actual human beings because that is so human.
1: I think so. I think we can all totally... Relate to that, so not being able to speak because you feel tongue tied around somebody. Yeah, my tongue is broken. Hot and flushed, Ugh. feeling like kind of sweaty and like
0: your heart's going too the fast. The delicate fire, I could just picture that because mm-hmm. it's like it's such a feeling. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is what that feels like. It it is hot and flushed and whatever, but it is also kind of delicate. You could feel like it could break, like your tongue. And I do think that if you're going to be sexted, somebody.
1: I think that's sexier than just, like, I want you or whatever, to be honest.
0: that is way sexier. And if they don't play ball with that, then get a new partner. (laughs) Man alive, you want somebody who writes to you like that. So this is Sappho
1: poem 8, and this is the one that Catullus, in his poem 51, basically almost translates, really. So he basically says the same thing. Obviously, he's a man addressing a woman. So it's, again, it's, like, heteronormative, but... he says the same thing, you know, I can't speak, I can't think, I can't see, I've got fire over my limbs. Love so is love. Yeah. Clearly Sappho is still being recognized 600 years on really as cool. the authority on what love feels like. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Very, very
0: cool. I want all sorts of Sappho tattoos now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so other little snippets that we've got that you could just send to someone if Perfect. they were asking, you know, how you were feeling tonight. <laughs> We've got, Eros shook out my heart like a wind assaulting mountain oaks. You came and I sought you, but you cooled down my heart, burning with desire. Ooh. Yeah, so you could send someone that. I like that. She also has a little bit of wisdom for us. Okay. So she says, while a beautiful man just looks beautiful, (laughs) a good man will therefore be beautiful, too. Ooh, that is still so true. Yeah, so here we've got 600 BC. And our girl Sappho is saying, you know, it's what what's on the inside that it's, counts. What's on the
0: inside? That's, uh, that's timeless.
1: Yeah. So less about sexting, but just some good information from I mean, Aunt Sappho. Thank you. We always need that. Yeah. And now we've got another um, longer piece. And again, this is maybe if your lover is trying to leave you um, and you want to remind them of all the good times. That's right. what's going on with Sappho. You might just want to remind them of the good times for, sure. for sexiness sake. Yeah. Yeah. So she's talking to a girl here and she says go and farewell and remember me for you know how we cherished you. But if you don't, I want to remind you and the beautiful things we enjoyed for many garlands of violets and roses and crocuses together beside me did you put on and many plaited wreaths of flowers around your tender neck did you place and with much perfumed rosemore you anointed and on a soft bed, tender, you satisfied your longing. Wow. Nor was there any, nor any holy, from which we were absent, nor grove, nor dance the sound. And obviously, again, that's fragmentary, but I don't think it matters. No,
0: it doesn't. I have straight up goosebumps.
1: Like, if you wanna sex somebody, and on a soft bed, tender, you satisfied your longing. I think that's going to translate. I think it will. Uh I think they'll
0: get the point. I really do. That's lovely. It is lovely and it's
1: tender and it's erotic. And again, this is Sappho addressing girls here, which I just think is so important that we have these queer voices from ancient
0: history. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it it feels like I think sometimes when we talk about queer history, we're talking about it starting at Stonewall and that's just not. A fair representation of humanity like this has always been a, a thread of humanity and we should be talking about it more
1: absolutely so it is quite difficult to use words like uh, lesbian or bisexual um right. straight gay when we talk about pre-modern history and right. um, that's something that's very much in contention but i st- i think that there is a lot to be said for using the word queer which yeah. can kind of encompass all of that yeah. and doesn't have to be tied to specific sexuality but yeah you can just see that there is this whole range of human experience totally which yeah. is really important and like really validating in my opinion to read this even Absolutely. from like hundreds of years back yeah. yeah
0: i mean it's so it translates so well and in so many ways pieces of history you know especially like emotional stuff doesn't necessarily translate that they will experience things from a societal point of view I guess differently but this is really cool that that far back It's no, that's exactly what that feels like to this day
1: because this doesn't feel like a piece of society we're experiencing no. this really does feel like it's ripped from the heart Right. this is built into us as, as animals so the last um, thing that I want to share with you is just this last little quote from Sappho about love and she says again love the loosener of limbs shakes me bittersweet irresistible reptile And again, whoever translated that has obviously translated it as bittersweet. Right. But sweet bitter. Right. Right. And I also think reptile Reptile. is quite interesting that they've translated it That's an interesting translation.
0: I mean, that is. But But it makes it feel very
1: ancient. It does. Mm -hmm. It
0: does. It's an ancient part of our our brain and our makeup, too, that translates to love and desire, I think.
1: Absolutely. Um, So that's just like a little... Introduction to Sappho. Yeah, do all reading. <laughs> I would go and read all of her stuff. Um, really, really interesting. I For was sure. just trying to pick out some some of the stuff that we could maybe describe as being a bit like a sext. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah. So what can Sappho teach us? Sure. So I think Sappho really teaches us the beauty of words and how sexy desire can feel Without being super graphic, yeah. yeah. Um, so I do think if it's your thing, then fine, of course. But I see Sappho as being like a really well filmed sex scene,
0: yeah.
1: Rather it than feels like that. I don't know Pornhub, yeah.
0: It you know, feel, it feels like a really that's exactly what it feels mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So it's the feeling and the emotion rather than the anatomical picture. Yes, yeah. yeah. So she says, "This is how you make me feel: my skin on fire, my heart too fast, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Right. It's really, really sexy. It is. It is. Um, I also think that she really teaches us, because of the way that she's come down to us, the power of silence. Absolutely. Or of a lacuna. So these fragments of Sappho show that things unsaid can be just as effective. So you might not always need to spell everything out in right. a sext. Right. You can be suggestive. You can yeah. leave stuff to the imagination. You can be playful. And, t- and that's yeah. what Sappho is. She is ultimately very playful. yes. Mm-hmm. yes.
0: Yeah, that translates. I think the the art of the tease is very much eloquently put down.
1: Absolutely. Um, She's also somebody who, again, I just think she's so important in her role as a queer icon. And in terms of somebody historical to identify with, in terms of loving women, of finding women attractive. And again, not only is it this but it's from a female gaze yes. and a p- female perspective of feeling that as well. Yes. Which, you know, even when you get mention of female homosexuality in history, it's so often from a male source. Oh,
0: so much. And a
1: male gaze. So it's, yeah, it's so important that we have it from a female, from a female. perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as throughout history and especially throughout historiography, that queerness is so often undermined.
0: Oh, sure. Yep.
1: Um, so like one of Sappho's poems is a very homoerotic song, which people have argued should be seen as a wedding song. Okay. um, Which it may well have been, but then they argue that the homoerotic sentiment within it is public praise for the bride. Okay. Rather than Sappho's own feelings. Okay. And I mean, sure.
0: Why not? Maybe. Maybe. um,
1: Especially maybe if it was another writer. Yeah. But also, like, you've seen how she is writing about these women. Like, come on. Yeah. your, your bias is showing. Very
0: much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. So that is Sappho for you, oh, and my yeah, goodness. I don't know if you're going to be taking any inspiration from her when you write I your mean, sex.
0: I mean, I think that really just goes to the theme that we talked about earlier—that it doesn't need to be something that's super raunchy and graphic and. Whatever, it can be very eloquent and poetic and human and real, and you can make some real use of of silences and things left unsaid.
1: Especially when it's between somebody that you maybe know quite well. I mean, you know, if this is someone you're maybe chatting to for the first time on maybe Tinder, not. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you want to tell them your skin's on fire or yeah, yeah. you're pale as grass. I mean, maybe um, you
0: can do it in the way that you bring up Sappho first. Yeah. And then be like, have you ever done any reading on Sappho?
1: That's true. And especially, again, if this is um, within a female, all female context, right. then Sappho is a...
0: That was so cool. I want to read all of her stuff again. I know I read it in one of my classes, but...
1: Yeah, I have now um, the translations I was reading to you from are from a book called Women Writers of Ancient Greece and Rome, cool. which I don't think it's the top translation of Sappho. Okay. I think that prize goes to Anne Carson. Carson yeah. Um, yeah. And I tried to find her book on Kindle for today. You can only buy it paperback, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. And I've ordered it. Um, but yeah, obviously didn't have it in time right. for today, yeah. unfortunately. And they don't have it in the university library. <laughs> they don't? Nope. I looked. That Not online. Okay. All
0: right. Well,
1: so um, now we've talked about Sappho. Um, I want to talk about the man that she's inspired as right. well. So we mentioned the Roman poet Catullus. Catullus. Mm-hmm. Now, he has been described by historian Daisy Dunn as Rome's most erotic poet. Oh, thank you. Yeah. She wrote a um, book called Catullus's Bedspread, okay. the life of Rome's most erotic poets. Ooh. So he is an elegiac poet, a love poet, writing at the end of the Roman Republic. so this is the first century bce sure we know this because of his poems he has mention of key characters from the time um so for example julius caesar
0: oh okay yeah key character
1: caesar and cleopatra fame yeah
0: yes (laughs) refer to last week's episode (laughs) please see (laughs) so what did he
1: write about um all sorts but he is particularly famous for his erotic poetry love it so he has his mistress lesbia Oh, okay Oh, a little bit of a Sappho reference Feels there. Like a throwback, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder where he got the name Lesbia <laughs> from. Um so she's married. Okay. We actually mentioned her way back in episode one, if you can remember, all those eons oh, ago. Yeah. Okay. So Lesbia was probably a woman called Clodia, okay. who we mentioned in the first episode, who was the sister of Clodius, okay. who was married to Mark Antony's wife fulvia yes,
0: yes okay yes i'm with you
1: and clodia and clodius are the ones who were accused of incest by cicero gotcha if we remember catullus also hints at this okay she's real nice to say about your girlfriend really great <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah he writes to his mistress lesbia and he also writes to a youth okay called juventius okay which means youth so right. think a bit of a pseudonym here sure yep um so he was literally a youth okay um so this is to do with how roman male homosexuality was experienced okay um it was acceptable for roman men to sleep with slaves or young boys right um as long as they were taking the penetrative role okay that's obviously really really different to how we experience same-sex attraction and desire today absolutely um and Catullus, when he writes about this young boy, he does also write that he's scorned by him, etc. as well. So I'm certainly not saying we should take these as like an epitome of how like queer sure. love should be seen today. Yeah, But he does have some nice verses about him. And again, I just really want to give us this really broad spectrum of sexuality here. Absolutely. So we have Catullus who's writing love poetry to a boy and to a woman as well. Okay. Um, so what examples do we have of Catullus's poetry? Which I feel like might really resonate with us or that you might send to somebody when sure. you're feeling a little bit lonely. a little, a little, a little bit lonely at gotcha. night. Um, so he says to Juventius in poem 48, "Your honeyed eyes, Juventius, mm. if someone let me go on kissing, I'd kiss 300,000 times, nor never think I'd had a- enough, not if our osculations crop were closer packed than dried corn ears." Wow. And again, if we take away the fact he's writing Mm -hmm. to a young boy um, and we just put that in terms of like, you know, a loving poem that you can send uh to each other, then that's really quite beautiful. It
0: is quite sweet. I had a hard time getting the what he was writing about out of my head but if you do put two consenting adults into that then it is quite sweet and I really want someone to describe my eyes as honeyed because I love that
1: I also what I really like about this is when we do look at Roman uh, homosexuality yes which is invariably male male because there's so little right written about female homosexuality um and Catullus himself is guilty of this quite a lot of it is from that kind of penetrating penetrative dominant and submissive perspective and it can really be quite violent you know he threatens his friends at one point with sexual violence which is really horrible and i think what this verse does for us is it gives us like the idea of tenderness between men Mm -hmm. which i think is something that is really relevant today especially with like the way that men are expected to behave towards one another um in terms of handling their own emotions i think that that tenderness is something that they're not necessarily taught to express sure um and which they should be and catullus he loves kissing yeah (laughs) and i think that's really nice that is quite sweet and it's really nice that you could sex someone and not be like gonna put my dick in you but
0: yeah but i just want to like kiss you
1: look at your honeyed eyes. yeah i think that's
0: lovely i mean that's at least at the very least a great way to start i mean that's just sweet and kind um my mom once said, and that's a weird transition, but my mom once said, <laughs> my, mom my mom once told me, yeah, she did once say that she felt that our world had too much ten, uh, had too much tenderness and needed more tenderness. is your
1: mom a poet mom
0: might be a little bit of a poet i love
1: that too much tinder not enough enough tender tender. exactly that's
0: great and she'll still bring it up well
1: there's the name of the episode obviously it rates itself (laughs) obviously
0: thank you (laughs) shelly that is yeah is not that great and she'll still bring it up to me like i'll i'll call her with some relationship issue that i'm having or something and mom will be like just remember don't play it like tinder be a little tender thanks mommy (laughs)
1: so she's great i now want to go through every song that i know and replace the word tender with with tinder Tinder, though mm -hmm. which i enjoy doing with songs oh it'd be
0: great it would really change a lot of things i'll see what i can find perfect
1: um so as i said catullus is obviously he is really into this kind of not necessarily just describing sex to someone but um he's into kissing
0: okay great. so again
1: this is a A fun translation that someone's given of it. It But in Catullus 7, he says, You ask how many of your mega kisses. Oh, okay. Which, I don't know, sounds like a dinosaur.
0: It does sound like a dinosaur. A mega kiss.
1: (laughs) Or a robot. (laughs) Or a vibrator. Oh my God.
0: Can we make that? The mega kiss. (laughs) I feel like we need to talk to an engineer and get this worked out. Oh my God, no. Most podcasts have, like, T-shirts and hats and beer koozies. Nope. Vibrators. Well, I mean,
1: I do think we should get involved with merch, so... Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much the so. The Megakiss 3000.
0: <laughs> In any color you want.
1: <laughs> so he says, you ask how many of your Megakisses would more than satisfy me, Lesbia. So here he's talking right. to his mistress. Okay. Great as the sum of Libisson Sand... Lying in Sylphophorus mm-hmm. Cyrene mm-hmm. from the Oracle of Tara Jove to Old Batus's holy sepulchre or many as the stars when night is silent. Wow. So he's like, lots of kisses, please. Lots, and lots of kisses. Which is so
0: cute. I mean it's very sweet. I'm gonna be stuck on whatever the fuck a mega kiss is for weeks. Me too. I also yeah.
1: quite struggled. This translation I think is quite old, so I really struggled with some of the words there. The, um, yeah. but I do think that they gave us some names for the colors of our vibrator. I because here I am seeing Libison Sand. Obviously. I am seeing sylphophorus sireni
0: yeah i feel like that's blue
1: uh-huh yep. i think so um and i'm seeing many as the stars which i think is like a nice indigo
0: yeah yeah i think so i think we've got our first three there for sure i mean if you want a nice i think the first one's like a taupe or a tan mm-hmm, you yeah want something that's a little bit neutral you know
1: yeah if you've yeah. got one of those bedrooms that has those kind of like cream carpets it has a lot of botanicals mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. those macrame like weavings on the wall yeah
0: and we could probably sell like a stand with a vibrator so that you can make it part of your decor Mm-hmm. functional
1: <laughs> absolutely and when the night is silent can be one that
0: we've made real quiet for if you have roommates i mean that is handy this this flat in particular has very 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 thin walls so it'd be handy well do i have a product for you rachel <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna start recording infomercials in between that'll be our commercial break <laughs> someone sponsor us <laughs> yeah. please please mm-hmm. Anne summers adam and eve we'll do anything <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay I feel like we've got slightly off topic but oh, well. I don't know Catullus might p- approve I feel
0: like <laughs> um, Sappho would too
1: do you know what um I feel like women's pleasure is so much more of its thing but we'll talk about him another time absolutely anyway so the last bit that I want to share with you from Catullus and again this would be a good one to send to somebody is okay. probably his most famous okay. um line and that's from Catullus 5 okay. and he's addressing lesbia again and he says give me a thousand kisses Then a hundred, then another thousand, then a second hundred, then still another thousand, then a hundred, then, when we've made so many thousands, we'll muddle them, so as not to know, or lest some villain overlook us, knowing the total of our kisses.
0: Do you feel like at some point kissing would get old?
1: With Catullus, when he's like, come on, baby, we're going to get to five thousand.
0: (laughs) and then another hundred, and then another thousand, and then another hundred. (laughs)
1: So I remember learning about this poem when I was back in first year of uni, more years ago now than I care than to, cared than it. I care to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and being told, obviously like, I don't speak very good Latin, <laughs> that this sounds really nice in Latin because it's um, the, the motion that you make with your mouth is like mil for a thousand. Oh. Um, and it's like a pout, it's a kiss. So when you say this and you're saying a thousand again and again, it looks like you're kissing. So it's really quite
0: clever and quite beautiful. I feel Um, like that is totally an art form we've lost in the modern age of technology that, like, the shape your mouth takes on while you read this poem mm -hmm. is part of the poem.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I really love this. And although he has some really problematic features, um, it's why Catullus is also my boy.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's just history, though. Like, there's going to be a problem with some of this, but... We're focusing on other things. Yeah,
1: so I've I very, I've cherry-picked from Catullus' repertoire yes. the more kind of sensitive or nicer ones that you might want to send. Yeah. He also has some really horrible stuff, which
0: oh, sure.
1: I have glossed over because <laughs> as a historian, that is my power.
0: Yeah, well, we all know that it's, it's me that picks the horrible, awful graphic things for this podcast. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I said I would tone it down. I have done my best. <laughs>
1: well, I hope there's not violence and death in sexting.
0: I mean, if that's... Nope, there's not. I can't even <laughs> come up with it. I was like, I'm going to make some witty joke. And I was like, nope, too far. Too far for me.
1: <laughs> so what can Catullus teach us? What can he tell us about sexing? Yes. So for me, I think the ones I have picked is the sexiness of kissing, yes. I guess. Yes. He's all about that.
0: <laughs> yes, very clearly. I mean, I do think we, as we get older, lose a little bit of the excitement of kissing. Like, I think when you have your first kiss, I mean, that is huge it's such a big deal and you talk about it with your friends and it's really a life moment and then now it's just almost like flippant and casual so I think we should let's get back to the the art form and the excitement of just a little a little tender kissing
1: I agree and I think that this is a very relevant reference I'm about to make that uh I personally binge watched the entire season of Firefly Lane on Netflix Me too. this week. Mm-hmm. Um, had a bad day on Wednesday. And um, <laughs> one of the characters in that says that she misses kissing. Yeah. And she's like, I just miss that. I don't miss the sex. I miss yes. kissing. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think Catullus would have sorted her out.
0: I think so. Good
1: and proper. I
0: mean, that really, like, it, like, I, like we said, my partner and I are, are long distance right now. And when I think about things that I miss, like one of the first things is, yeah, like I just miss kissing just good I mean I just think that's lovely so I'm with Catullus on that
1: and especially like in this age where I mean we talked about last episode we're so focused on online dating and tinder and possibly you'd be sexting somebody before you even met them I think there's worse things to start with yeah. than a bit of kissing a bit of like sort of sexy tenderness yes. before you go for the yeah you know I mean I didn't can, even know where I was going yeah, there I was like, I, totally I was gonna say. say something absolutely horrible but if
0: there's foreplay before you have sex There should be some foreplay before you sex.
1: Exactly. Don't just go straight into the, here's a picture of my dick. Here's what it's going to do. Or other genitalia. Sure. So what I would sum up about Catullus is, yeah, sexiness of kissing. And also in terms of, like, representation and stuff. Again, we cannot equate Roman sexuality to our own. Sure. But in terms of the people he's addressing and finding attractive within his poems, I think the word bisexual or somebody who finds multiple genders... um, you know non-binary babes might have been in there as well um sexy then Catullus is someone that we can turn to as well which you know again I think that we really lack that bisexual representation throughout history that's something I'm on a mission to find yes (laughs) um and yeah I think Catullus can give us a little little window into that if we very carefully pick which of his poems we use.
0: You know what? And that's fair. That's a lot of historical practices. I'm going to find specific things that maybe aren't super violent and problematic.
1: Absolutely. So that was my whistle-stop tour through Sexting in the Ancient World. Which, again, you know, how are you delivering this? By a wax tablet? I don't know. Yeah. Papyrus, maybe. I
0: mean, there's been, ever since, like we said... I don't know if it was last episode. It was last episode. The second we figure out technology, it goes right to sex. Like, that's what it is.
1: I don't know if it's really sexy if you've got, like, somebody's servant running around your house and they're all really sweaty. They've maybe run up the Palatine Hill or whatever. They develop, like, they deliver you a wax tablet. Mm. You open it and it's just a dick. (laughs) Someone's just drawn a dick on the wax tablet.
0: You know what? And I've seen the ancient depictions of dicks and... You know, they get the point across, I guess. Yeah, we've all seen the
1: Pompeii graffiti. Yeah,
0: they're not overly erotic, but it does tell you what you're what you're looking for. That's probably what happened with Catullus and Lesbia.
1: He probably sent her a wax tablet dick probably. and she was like, "Do better." Yes. And he was like, "A "100,000 okay. kisses. <laughs> kisses for
0: you, my love." Obviously, I just I mean, obviously I wouldn't I wouldn't like give you this unless I kissed you first. When I mean, it kissed you first. Many kisses gonna and kisses, then the dick. There's going to be breakfast. It's going to be fine, okay? like woo me a little catullus geez <laughs> and on that note and on that what have note, you got to talk to me about i have a flashlight on okay so we're we're going a little well we're going to go a couple thousand years forward into the artistic realm Ooh. yes so we are in 1907 <gasps> Ooh. in mexico Oh, exciting. Exciting. I decided I was going to stray away from Europe a little bit. So today we're going to be discussing the relationship and letters of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera.
1: Yes. yes. Oh, oh, I'm really excited. Good.
0: And I was trying to find somebody who was also a member of the LGBTQ plus community um, and Frida Kahlo is. Um, I did want to ask, is Frida Kahlo popular here in the UK? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or okay. right. is um, very much so at home. Yeah, especially in Colorado, like I grew up somewhat close to the border, too. So I think there's much more of the um, that influence on our art and culture, too. So this, I mean, I want to say there's a happy ending. It depends on how you look at it. So here we go. Okay, so Frida is born on the 6th of July, 1907, and her full name is Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderón. And she's born at the house called La Casa Azul, which becomes her family home. And she has that house. Um, And I'm quite fond of the name Magdalena, because one of my sisters is named Magdalena. I think it's a really lovely name. It's a really lovely name. Um, So she is, for those of you who don't know, she is a folk artist. And she uses her art to question identity, post-colonialism, gender, class, and race in um, Mexican society specifically. But she was quite well known in the States, too, in her own time. Um, She's... A famous figure not only in art history, but she is an icon of the LGBTQ community and the feminist movement as well.
1: I feel like we very much synced here, despite the fact we didn't yeah. discuss our topics beforehand. I
0: know, I really I made an effort. I was like, we've, you know, we need to be representative and sex positive. So I wanted, I was really all about this. Um, and we'll read their letters, and it's quite good for sexting as well. So she is really known for her, her uncompromising view of the female form and the beauty that is inherent in female nature, mm-hmm. which I think is really amazing. So her father was a photographer, Guillermo Kahlo, and her mother was Matilde Calderon y Gonzalez. And Guillermo is actually German. And she, yeah, so she's got, um, he's German, and there's just a bunch of, I didn't really realize this, there are so many, especially at this time, there's just a vast identity coming from Europe and cultural backgrounds into Mexico. Mm-hmm. So um, really interesting. And she described her childhood as being somewhat sad as both of her parents were often sick and their marriage was devoid of love. So I think, personally, this has a huge influence on her relationships later. I think she actively seeks love in all that she does. And I think it becomes very clear. So she gets polio as a child. This causes her right leg to be shorter and thinner than her left. Um, And this, I think, kind of starts to influence a pattern later in her life as well. Um, She's very close with her father, not at all close with her mother. She goes to this really prestigious school, the National Preparatory School in Mexico City, and she forms a group with nine of her classmates. Uh, she is one of only 35 females in this school of 2,000 students, oh, too. Wow. So she's, yeah, she's really, it's a prestigious school, and she's a prestigious student. She's trying to become a doctor, but she joins this group, and they're called the Cujucas, I think? Um, And these nine students would later become some of the leading figures in the Mexican intellectual elite and in the government too. Uh, And they're just rebels. They rebel against all things conservative. Uh, She starts lying about her age to make her a little bit younger. She starts saying that she's born on the 7th of July, 1910, uh, which is the year the Mexican revolution begins. So she wants to be a daughter of the revolution. She ends up falling in love with the leader of this group who is Alejandro Gomez Arias. And they exchange passionate letters. And this begins a real tone for her of these very, very sexy, sexy letters that she sends. And we will get to those. There is something a little bit mo- more sexy about a letter, I think. There is.
1: You've got to wait for it. You, yes. know, you can't just immediately receive a reply. You've got to really right. think about what you're saying. And there's a very
0: physical act of writing a letter. Like you are actually, you know, you're putting physical effort into writing it, which I think is great.
1: Once again, I hate to shoehorn her into the conversation. But Anne Carson talks about letters as a form of desire and that they are you know you're never with the person so yeah. there's always this like untouchable desire Attention. as part of a letter yeah. which is very interesting you know
0: what I would
1: love to get a sexy letter like I think that would be great same I don't think I've ever I'll send you a sexy letter perfect it'll probably perfect. just say hey
0: Rachel what are you wearing? I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I'd, I'd be turned on by it. So it's all good. It's all good. I mean, there's something very sexy about letters. So maybe that's one of the lessons is, yes, sex to your heart desires, but also like send some kinky letters. Exactly.
1: And you can burn letters,
0: but that's the true. internet is forever. That's true. Good point. <laughs> um, so these two are on a bus together. And this bus is trying to pass a streetcar. And there is a crash. And Kahlo is impaled with a handrail that goes through her pelvis. It shatters her pelvis. It splits open her abdomen and her uterus. Uh, her spine is broken in three places. Her right leg is broken in 11 places, and her right foot is crushed. And it has displaced three vertebrae as well. And after polio as well. Yes. Come on. Yes. Um, so she's placed in oh, a plaster corset for months so that she doesn't move, and this has her bedridden. Uh, so she can no longer become a doctor and study medicine because she's in constant pain. And her friend, Andre Hanestrosa stated that Kahlo quote lived dying mm. yeah so really not good this becomes a huge point of her life is she's always in pain um, she joins the Mexican Communist Party after her accident and she is going to these communist parties and this is where she meets Diego Rivera and Diego Rivera is born in 1886 in Mexico he's of Spanish Jewish ancestry Uh, His twin brother dies when he's three, and he begins to cope with this pain by drawing on the walls of his house, so his parents cover the walls in chalkboards and canvas, um, which is very similar to Kahlo because she begins painting as a way to deal with her pain while she's in the hospital bed. So kindred souls here. Yes, kindred souls very early on. Um, He's married once before to a woman in Paris. They have a son who dies young. He marries again to a woman named Guadalupe. They have two daughters, and he's still married to Guadalupe when he meets Frida. Um, he's 20 years Frida's senior. They marry after he leaves his wife and two daughters, and they marry in a civil ceremony at the town hall of Koyakan on August 21st of 1929. Her mother was not a fan of this marriage, and both of her parents famously referred to this match as, quote, a marriage between an elephant and a dove. Ooh, harsh. A little harsh. Who's um, the elephant? The, it is, it, it's him, because they think their <laughs> <Okay>. daughters are <laughs> dove-like. I will show you a picture of the couple um, not long after their wedding. So that's them right after their wedding. Her father did like him, though, because he was wealthy. And her father and her were very close, but her father liked the fact that he was wealthy because he could supply her with um, the medical aid that she needed to recover Mm -hmm. from this accident and her polio. Um, There is a painting that she did of the two of them after their wedding. Oh, isn't that sweet?
1: Yeah, that's lovely. I know. I
0: love that they're holding hands. We can pop that one up. We will pop Mm -hmm. that one up. Um, So they moved to this rural state in Mexico, Morelos, uh, because he's accepted a commission. She leaves the Communist Party because Rivera has been expelled from the Communist Party. So she leaves as an act of solidarity. And this part of Mexico has seen a lot of fighting during the Mexican Revolution. So there's a real sense of identity that Frida starts really feeling. So she begins what she famously is known for, dressing in these long flowing skirts and bright colors that emphasize her uh, mestiza ancestry um, with just headdresses, jewelry, all of these really traditional aspects of the identity and the culture. So she favors the dress of women from the matriarchal society of the Isthmus of, I'm gonna butcher this, to Juntapec. And they've come to represent at this time an authentic and indigenous Mexican culture and heritage in post-revolution Mexico. So she is just really post-colonial, post-revolution. She's really imbibing it right now. They then moved to San Francisco for a while, and she does her first exhibition in San Francisco of her art. There she has an affair with a man named by the name of Nicholas Murray. They then did travel to New York City because Diego gets a commission with the MoMA, the really famous Museum of Modern Art. Mm-hmm. They moved to Detroit, and she has a failed pregnancy, and not just failed. She gets pregnant and requests for an abortion, but the abortion itself fails, and she has a really horrible time of it. Um, she becomes very apathetic to having this child at all, but Rivera really wants it, so she says that she'll continue to carry the child, and then she miscarries and hemorrhages and is in the hospital for a month, recovering oh, from losing the child. My goodness. Yeah, so she's having a really hard time. She already has all these health issues, too. Um, but I this- mean... I know you said there was no grimness in death, but (laughs) I I tried really hard and I failed. Um, Maybe it gets better. So she's got a lot of health problems, but in this time when they're in Detroit, she really starts to find a voice of her own because her husband is quite famous. She's getting quite famous. They are being interviewed. They are really well known. So she does an interview and she says, quote, of course, he Diego does well for a little boy, but it is I who am the big artist. Ooh. Yes.
1: I like Frida. Yes.
0: So there's very much a current of competition between them as artists. Imagine reading that though, and your wife calls you a little boy. Calls him a little boy. Harsh.
1: Yes. And actually, he's not a little boy. He's not.
0: No. Um, he's 20 years older than her indeed Uh, but there is very there does seem to be a competition kind of thing going on in like
1: a sexy way or in a there's an issue way I
0: think it and this is why I picked them because I think there is an issue but I also think it feeds their passion for each other Mm -hmm. which becomes very clear in their letters Um, so she hates the capitalist nature of the US and she writes in a letter to her friend don't we all don't we all Um, that although I am very interested in the industrial there go our sponsors (laughs) there go our sponsors I mean we we like the money part of it, I guess. <laughs> so she says, Although I am very interested in the industrial and mechanical development of the United States, I feel a bit of rage against all the rich guys here. Since I have seen thousands of people in the most terrible misery without anything to eat and with no place to sleep, that is what has most impressed me here. It is terrifying to see the rich having parties day in and day out while thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger.
1: And if you send that... You are bound to get a sexy response. You'll get a really
0: sexy, sexy anti-capitalist response, which I would love it. Anti-capitalist sext. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to add some some political sentiment to your sexting, you go for it. Um, so she begins. Communists are us. There you go. She begins her own unique style here. This is where it really starts to take on. Um, she places an emphasis. She says on terror, suffering, wounds, and pain. Rachel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But honestly, if you look at a lot of it, I mean, it's got beautiful themes to it, too, of feminism and the beauty of women. All I'm hearing is Ivan the Terrible, burning, massacring, cleansing. You know what? It's never going to get better. (laughs) (laughs) It's just what I do. Do we need to talk? We might need to. I have some dark sides, I think. Um, so at the time in Mexico, the popular painting style is the mural style, but she develops a diametrically opposed medium known as the retablos or um, votive images. So there are these religious paintings on small sheets of metal, which are used to thank saints. Just absolutely gorgeous as well, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Um, her famous ones are Henry Ford Hospital, 1932. My Birth, also in 1932. A Self-Portrait on the Border of Mexico in the United States, 1932. So that's what she's creating now. They move back to Mexico City. They're both really unfaithful in their marriage. They both have affairs. And Diego begins an affair with her younger sister, Christina. Oh, now who's into the incest? Yeah, I I switched. I'm just taking on all the... It's you. It's me. We're taking on all the bad themes over here. There's graphic. There's pain. There's misery. There's incest. But is there sexting? There is. And I will get to it. (laughs) It's coming. I'm building tension. Um, so she has another affair. Eventually, they do all reconcile. Um, she does have an affair with uh, Trotsky, as as we have talked about before, um, the fo- former Soviet leader. Uh, so he actually moves in with her in the Casa Azul.
1: They're all chilling together, they aren't all they? Chill together. Yeah. This yes. is what I remember most about Trotsky. It's not the leader of the Red Army no. or whatever. I'm like, no, he was in Mexico. He was
0: in Mexico. There with was, a couple. <laughs> yeah. There was a bohemian free love vibe kind of mm-hmm. going on here. Um so they not only are they having an affair, but they're very close friends and they're uh, feeding each other's political beliefs and all of this. This does somewhat add to and culminate in the divorce of Frida and Diego.
1: Ah, So this isn't an example of how polyamory should be done. No, it's it's not working. It's for them. not working. Okay. They,
0: they get a divorce and they say that it is a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times. And there are no sentimental, artistic or economic reasons for this divorce. Huh. Yeah, that sounds like they're lying it does sound like but sure but it was a great (laughs) statement i guess um they continue to be friends she manages his finances and also sorts all of his mail for him
1: oh yeah that's nice of her i i wouldn't do that if i I divorced somebody but whatever
0: but she begins to flourish independently as an artist her most famous pieces come at this time um the two fridas Mm -hmm. self-portrait with cropped hair the, uh, the Wonder Table and Self-Portrait with Thorn Necklace and Hummingbird, which is the one I know the most. Yeah, I think that's a really iconic one. It's really iconic. So she does all this when she's on her own. In 1940, Trotsky is assassinated in Coyacan. With an ice pick. With an ice pick. And she's suspected and arrested and detained along with her sister. Um, and Diego had to flee Mexico because they were also suspected of killing him. Uh, eventually, they're cleared of this. They come back to Mexico and they remarry.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, funnily enough, the Russians, right? <laughs> it was, funnily
0: enough, the Russians. Shocking. Yes. Um, so this brings them back together. They get remarried on the 8th of December, 1940. They maintained their independence, but they were very much in love, apparently, at this time, because she starts painting a lot of self-portraits with Diego pictured in her forehead. And ah,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the symbolism of this. He's in my head, yes.
0: And that is it's Diego on my mind, is what the common colloquial name for this portrait is. So she's which to- I will
1: now replace whatever it is some
0: is it Georgia on my mind? Yes, I will be singing that, but <laughs> Diego, Diego on my mind. Um, so at this point, Kahlo has she's openly bisexual and she's having affairs with both men and women at this point. But her health is starting to really take a turn. She has to wear a corset to set her spine almost all the time. She does contract syphilis. She starts kind of becoming a little reclusive and she starts garnering a bunch of pets. So it's kind of just her and a bunch of spiders and monkeys and parrots. Spiders? Spiders. She's quite a fan of spiders.
1: Sorry, when you said pets, I was like, it's Rita Kahlo and her cats or her little dogs. No, it's spiders. Spiders, monkeys, and parrots. I was a huge fan. And suddenly, suddenly,
0: (laughs) not so much. Yeah. Um, so she's in a lot of pain now. She has an operation to fix her back, and that operation fails. You can start to see this in her paintings being titled Broken Column, Without Hope, Tree of Hope, Stand Fast, and the Wounded Deer. Oh. So uh, her leg is then amputated after getting uh, gangrene, and she hears that Diego is having another affair, and she attempts to kill herself and her diary entry is: They amputated my leg six months ago. They have given me centuries of torture, and at moments I have almost lost my reason. I keep on wanting to kill myself. Diego is what keeps me from it, though my, through my vain idea that he would miss me. But never in my life have I suffered more, and I will wait a while longer. Oh, yes. Um, and her last drawing was of the angel of death, and written on it were her last words: "I joyfully await the the exit, and I hope never to return." Frida. And her final act on this world, in this world was to give Diego their wedding anniversary gift. And then she overdoses on painkillers. Um, so heavy. I said I was going to go lighter. I didn't. I mean, I think she's a really
1: iconic and important figure to talk about. Um, and I also really love that we've got, again, that bisexual representation in, which yes. is so important. Yes. But Rachel, man. I'm sorry. I'm you gonna...
0: said a happy story. I think it's happy in that they were together forever. That they, they were together all the way till the end. And um, she is taken to the Palacio de Bellas uh, Artes. And she is laid in state under the communist flag. Mm-hmm. Rivera stated that her death was the most tragic day of his life. And he dies three years later. And he painted this portrait of her after her death. Oh, that is beautiful. Isn't it really she gorgeous? Is gorgeous? She is gorgeous. Um, her ashes are on display in a pre-Columbian urn at the La Casa Azul, which was opened as a museum in 1958. So... They exchanged so many letters, but her letters to him are nothing short of erotic and just breathtakingly beautiful. Okay,
1: so if we can take everybody's mind off the tragic life and the overdose, let's get to the
0: spiciness. Yes, I just think all of that added to their sexual tension and passion. Mm -hmm. So in one letter she says, Diego, nothing compares to your hands, nothing like the green gold of your eyes. My body is filled with you for days and days You are the mirror of the night, the violent flash of lightning, the dampness of the earth. The hollow of your armpits is my shelter, and my fingers touch your blood. All my joy is to feel life spring from your flower fountain, that mine keeps to fill all the paths of my nerves, which are yours. I mean, not only is she
1: an amazing artist, but she's obviously a beautiful writer. That is very sexy and lovely. Although I'm slightly concerned... Mm. What is the flower fountain? <laughs>
0: I mean, I read that, that that was his penis.
1: Well, you don't have
0: to just put it out there, <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> you still ask <laughs> me that I'm an oversharer. I overshare. <laughs> but I thought that was real steamy. Um, oh, yeah. It got my blood going mm. a little bit. And I will say, maybe this is too much information about me, but when she says the hollow of your armpits is my shelter... I was like, yeah, like that is a really comfy place with your partner to just kind of curl up right the, in like, the nook. It's all safe, and it smells like pheromones, and it's hot, I think. <laughs> um, my cheeks are so red right now. <laughs> um,
1: Rachel exposes herself on air. <laughs> on air.
0: Uh, so her next letter, it's a little long, but I think it's just gorgeous. Um, it was the thirst of many years restrained in our body. Chained words which we could not say except on the lips of dreams everything was surrounded by the green miracle of the landscape of your body upon your form the lashes of flowers responded to my touch the murmur of streams there was all manner of fruits in the juice of your lips the blood of the pomegranate the horizon of the mamie and the purified pineapple i pressed you against my breast and the prodigy of your form penetrated all my blood through the tips of my fingers smell of oak essence memories of walnut green breath of ash tree horizon and landscapes I trace them with a kiss oblivion of words will form the exact language for understanding the glances of our closed eyes you are here intangible and you are my universe which I shape into the space of my room your absence springs trembling in the ticking of the clock in the pulse of the light you breathe through my mirror from you to my hands I caress your entire body and I am with you for a minute and I am with myself for a moment my blood is the miracle which runs in the vessels of the air from my heart to your heart the green miracle of the landscape of my body becomes in your whole of nature i fly through it to caress the rounded hills with my fingertips my hands sink into the shadowy valleys in an urge to possess and i'm enveloped in the embrace of gentle branches green and cool i penetrate the sex of the earth her heat chars me and my entire body is rubbed by the freshness of tender leaves Their dew is the sweat of an ever-new lover. It's not love or tenderness or affection. It's life itself, my life, that I found when I saw it in your hands, in your mouth and in your breast. I have the taste of almonds from your lips in my mouth. Our worlds have never gone outside. Only one mountain can know the core of another mountain. Your presence floats for a moment or two as if wrapping my whole being in an anxious wait for morning. I notice that I'm with you. At that instant, still full of sensations, my hands are sunk in oranges and my body feels surrounded by your arms. Well, now I'm in love with Rachel.
1: (laughs) So this is awkward. This
0: is weird. The podcast is taking a turn.
1: That's beautiful. Isn't
0: that beautiful?
1: And I really, what I really got from that was the sense of nature within Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. which you can see as somebody whose identity like as a Mexican woman, is so important to her. That really comes across in these love letters. It does. So that it's not only sort of this erotic letter to her lover, but to the land that she's living in as well. Yes. Um, It's absolutely gorgeous. I don't really know what to say. I'm just like, whoa. It's
0: gorgeous. I chose this piece for a couple of reasons. One, it's just so beautiful. And you're right. There is so much of the theme of nature. However, she was known for being queer. And she also was... She was comfortable wearing men's clothes, was often uh, dressing as a man, but I think she was very against gender norms, and I think that comes across particularly when she's talking about um, penetrating the Oh, yes, earth. she penetrates the she earth, She penetrates absolutely. the sex of the earth, which is a female, too. Mm-hmm. So I just think that was really interesting, that she was yeah. very comfortable with gender fluidity. Um, and that comes across in her letters, which is also a sexual letter to her male husband, that within that letter, she is taking on the male form to penetrate the female earth. So, And again, I think, yeah, that sort of
1: gender fluidity and queerness is something that when we think maybe think about or exposed to ideas of sex yeah. like within traditional media is something that is really lacking it and is. that is really beautiful that we can get that from really, there
0: really gorgeous i um, also
1: think that that kind of natural imagery as well um really comes back to what we we're talking about at the start again Sappho's using all yes. of that kind of like the imagery of where they are the land the flowers mm-hmm. really really similar
0: yeah i think there is something very sexy about fruit and she mm-hmm. talks about fruit here um, I think if you've ever seen call me by your name that's a really famous the the peach scene I think fruits are just very I think they're that comes across in media more common now maybe but you're seeing it here um, the nature the nature aspect of this um, and I mean there's words here now that I think we kind of joke at like penetration and penetrate but they get the point across and they are very I mean they're useful and she's saying things you know the dew and flower fountain and she's talking about pulsing blood and i just think she's really it is very
1: physical but she's managing to conjure those like erotic sexual images without being anatomical about it the sort of metaphors that she's using are very effective in this case and a lot more sexy than if she'd been like
0: way sexy you are yeah I don't, I'm not gonna finish yeah, that sentence but she I mean like here like caress the rounded hills with my fingertips mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff my entire body rubbed by the freshness of tender leaves and the dew is the sweat like she's not saying exactly what she's talking about and yet you know I mean after reading this I had to kind of do a lap around my flat i was like i need a minute (laughs) i'm gonna come back to this but what you needed
1: (laughs) (laughs) what you needed was the mega kisses i need the mega kisses
0: my partner's too far away i just had to do a little little lap around the flat come back to to doing my research (laughs) you know just needed needed those mega kisses uh but the the article that i will add to um to the description of this episode, the article had been titled only one mountain can know the core of another mountain, which I love. That is one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. Um, cause they were, they were two, it was a power couple. This was an artistic power couple. And she clearly recognized that she was his equal. She was the mountain as was he. And they knew each other because they were mountains. That's really
1: beautiful. I feel, yeah, I don't have
0: anything funny or witty to say. No, I just it's think, like, as, Oh, you know, as far as sexting, it, I think you can say exactly what you want your partner to know and what you want to do to them and what they, what you want them to do to you without even having to say it. You know, if you're uncomfortable with the anatomical phrases or whatever, like throw some, some orange imagery in there, throw some, some hills and shadowy valleys and juicy lips and murmurs of streams. I mean pretty pretty steamy i think so is that what you would say that Frida and diego show yeah. us i mean i think obviously not all of us are artistically gifted mm-hmm. but i think there is something to be said for again like we said saying it without saying it i think that is so i mean i don't want to say kinky but it is kind of kinky oh well, like, yeah there's yeah there is something really sexy about that so you know and you don't have to just fire off a text right off the bat read it edit it Make it, you know, make it saucy in the way that you want to make it saucy.
1: What I'm really definitely getting from Frida and Diego is that partnership. Yes. Um, and so in terms of sexing, knowing who, what you want and what your partner wants from it. Yeah. So yeah, if you're artistic and you know that this kind of imagery is going to get you both going, yeah. then absolutely playing into that. Again, like you said, that's not for everyone. Some people might want a much more kind sure. of like explicit, description but again it's about knowing right that that's what you and the other person want and are uh, like expecting and again that's all about communication it and is. making sure that you're on the same page and delivering what you and they find sexy yeah
0: and i think sexting is a great way of if you are not you know if you're not super comfortable with that communication like in the bedroom or in person what a great way to figure out what you are comfortable with or what you might like or what your partner might like. And this is a wonderful, safe way, I think, to communicate with your partner. Absolutely. And if you're really of a
1: nervous persuasion, maybe do it by letter, because then, you know, you got some time. The CIA is not
0: listening in (laughs) the NSA. There's not some agent in a dark room giggling (laughs) at your sex. So no, there's um, they were talking about one of the websites I was looking at about people exchanging saucy letters through carrier pigeons. And I giggled, and then I was like, no, people had to do that. Like
1: I was like, oh, my God, it's the sexy pigeon. Oh, my God, I He's know what here. that pigeon means. I know what that
0: pigeon means.
1: It's Nigel. She only sends Nigel Shield. when she wants one
0: thing. That's that curvy pigeon.
1: I know. It's the sexed pigeon.
0: It's the sexed pigeon. Oh, my God. If we ever have merch, that will be a T-shirt. <laughs> There'll be a sex pigeon. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, yeah, I think, you know, if if art is your thing, throw it in. You have some metaphors and illusions and and that's wonderful. If being right to the point is your thing, then you tell them exactly what you want and where you want it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, mm-hmm. little tender, not tender.
0: Yeah. Little tender, not tender. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs>
1: OK, and <at> that <laughs> I think it's time to leave you guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thank guys. you. <laughs>